technology. Throughout my childhood, like most 90s children, I was obsessed with a media franchise called Pokemon. The franchise was created in 1995 and is centered on fictional creatures with mystical powers. In the series, these creatures are then captured and trained by Pokemon trainers to battle. And the goal of battling is to become the greatest champion there ever was. In fact, the theme song, which I said every morning, went like this. I want to be the very best, like no one ever was. To catch them is my real test. To train them is my cause. While these lyrics seem quite innocent at first glance, they became the anthem of Generation Y, those born between 1981 and 1996. As we woke up early each day to watch cheese TV with honey-soaked wheat bix a secular liturgy belief system was shaping us. We believed that we could become the greatest in the world. Ash Ketchum, the main Pokemon trainer on the screen there, gave us the confidence to confront all obstacles that would face in our childhood years and in adulthood. With Ash as my example, I even remember writing in my Year 6 journal these words, Jesse rules. Challenged to become idealistic dreamers and radical individualists, Generation Y took on this secular mission, a mission to rise above the rest. And while achieving our goals and dreams are important aspects for our human flourishing, we must make something clear. The road to greatness is not always the way of self-improvement, exploitation and social ladder climbing. The road to greatness sorry, is the way of self-sacrifice, humility and social ladder lowering. So, you got me there. In fact, the man has already reached the highest level of quality and rank possible. And his rank is so high that he has the fullness of God embodied in his DNA. His quality is so renowned that he has the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being at work in him. This man who is like no one, no, like no one ever was, now reigns above all heavens. And his name is Jesus. And to further help us develop our understanding of Christ's supremacy, we're going to examine three marks of his identity. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, we're going to learn that he is the supreme author the supreme alpha, and the supreme arbiter. Now, as we unpack these three marks of Christ's supreme identity, my prayer is that we'll continue in our faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in this gospel, this gospel that sets us free from sin, this gospel that gives us the hope of new life, that we can live into right now in the present as we await the new creation to come. The first mark of Christ's identity, which we're going to look at, is his authorship. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 16, in your bulletin, says this. 
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Paul and Timothy make a profound point here. All the things that Jesus created were crafted through him, but not just through him, for him. Every holy angel, every complex atom, every blazing star, every flower in the fields belongs to Jesus. Christ's authorship is an identity of total power and might. While there are thrones, powers, rules and authorities in the world, Jesus is above every name that is named because he is the creator. Tom writes, Tom Wright is writes this penetrating truth about this. Wherever you look or whatever realities you think of, you discover things which even if they do not acknowledge the fact owe their very existence to Christ. What does this mean for us? Well, if we are creatures who owe our full existence to Jesus, our natural posture should be of worship. Christ-centered worship could be described as the heartfelt discipline of prizing Christ, cherishing him, treasuring him, and being satisfied him each day as we live for his glory. And to help motivate us to live this Christ-centered worship, I want to take us on a journey back to the 17th Century. In this time period was a minister called Isaac Ambrose. He had a robust focus on his union, his oneness with Jesus, which gave him meaning each day. Since he believed that the church is the bride of Christ, he desperately desired to enjoy intimacy with him, his heavenly spouse. In fact, Edmund Calamy made this point about Ambrose. Because he was a contemporary. It was his usual custom once a year for the space of a month to retire into a little hut in a wood to devote himself to worship. While that may seem a bit insane to spend a whole month of your life every single year in a cabin worshipping God, it reveals something profound about Ambrose. He deeply desired... An intimate relationship with Christ. As he meditated on the scriptures in the cabin, his heart was directed upwards to Christ, which empowered him for another year of service. It's then no surprise he said these words in a journal, which we're now opening up many years later. Oh, how sweet was the Lord unto me. I never felt such a lovely state of heaven before. I believe this was the joyful sound, the sweetness of Christ, the joy of the Spirit, the new wine of his kingdom. The heart of Ambrose was captured by the sweet glory of Christ, his supreme author. And likewise, as we gather each Sunday, I would like to see us see it as a weekly retreat a time to worship Christ, our author. Then as we retreat from our drought recovery, family complexities, work anxieties, 
financial stresses, my prayer is that we'll savour the goodness of Christ in worship. That we will just stand amazed at the presence of Christ as we hear the word proclaimed, as we enjoy the Lord's Supper together, as we are sent out to make disciples of Jesus, declaring the riches of this good news which saves human souls. My prayer is that we'll sing Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honour and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Knowing Christ as the supreme author should fill us with praise. That's the first point. This moves us to the second point. Christ as the supreme alpha. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verses 17 to 18. It unpacks this point. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Alpha means beginning and first. Since Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, he is the beginning of something new. Let me illustrate. Imagine the devastation of a land after war. Imagine that the ground is lifeless. Trees are black. And there's a smoky haze everywhere. Imagine that the atmosphere is dead silent. Not even the, the, the sound of crows can be heard. Imagine that these lyrics described reality. The kingdoms of man have all decayed. The ruins of progress have turned to waste. The gods of greed lay in their graves. And darkness is everywhere. Do you have that image on your mind of utter darkness? But then imagine that the land starts to cry out like a woman groaning in labour. As you hear its cry, imagine that a path emerges from the darkness. As you follow the path, imagine a radiant light, a beacon of hope breaking out of the darkness of the ground even. Imagine your eyes adjusting to the light, a light that takes the shape of a man. Imagine now beholding the beauty of this man, realising that it is Jesus, the man who has defeated death and birthed a new world for humanity. Imagine him then declaring, touch my resurrected body. I am the first of a new and everlasting humanity. If you believe in my supremacy, you will become a child of hope. And this hope will never disappoint you. Friends, this is what it means that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. When we look at his resurrection body in our utter darkness, which is our broken world, we look at him and see that there is indeed hope for humanity now. If Jesus is resurrected, he now points us to him and says, you know what, guys, if you trust in me, you will also rise from the dead. In the new creation. 
This is reassuring hope. Jesus is the firstborn of a new humanity through his resurrection. While we will still die in this broken world, we anticipate the world to come where we will rise from the dead, the new heavens and the new earth. And so Jesus is the beginning of a new era for our world. His resurrected body assures us that we will one day rise from the dead. He is the hour for human, our resurrection hope. And since he is our resurrection hope and now rules above, we must walk in hope. And this hope is well expressed in the words of this man. The devil, darkness and death may swagger and boast. The pangs of life will sting for a little while, a while longer. But don't worry, the forces of evil are breathing their last. Not to worry, he is risen. Also hear the words of M.T. Wright. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it, that new world, because of the resurrection. And since we belong to this world by faith in Christ, Because of the resurrection, we can confront every crisis with hope. When diseases are spreading throughout our world, we can endure in hope. When our economy goes into strife because of the disease, we can endure because of our hope. When our body is struggling to recover from our drought and bushfires, we can endure because of hope. When a pack of wild dogs kills our sheep that we've been raising up for a few years, we can endure because of hope. Knowing Christ as the supreme alpha should fill us with hope. And this brings us to the final point here, Christ as the supreme arbiter. I want you to look at verses 19 to 22 for a moment. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. An arbiter is someone who settles a dispute, often between two sides. As our supreme arbiter, Jesus has stood between us and God. Since we were once dirty creatures, dead in sin, we could not approach God's holiness in our own accord. This caused us to be alienated from God and enemies of his throne. We became creatures fueled by our egos, a disposition that ushered every moral evil imaginable. We became creatures with a blind heart, a heart full of pride, vainglory, hypocrisy, envy, hatred, malice, selfishness. We became creatures who downgraded human life, exploiting it for our own benefit. However, Jesus stands as our arbiter. He has settled the dispute between us and God through his death. 
When Jesus died, his blood ended the dispute. His blood was the sign of peace between us and God. Like a sacrificial lamb, Jesus protected us from God's justice against our evil, our rebellion. And the work of Christ was indeed supreme. We are no longer called enemies. We are now called children by faith in Christ's work. As people covered with the blood of Jesus, we can now enter God's holy presence and enjoy this gift of peace. It is good news. However, to truly enjoy this peace, I believe we must confront the idols of our culture who hold supremacy in our lives. One of these idols, for example, is called business. And I see a business like a, like a blizzard. A business blizzard often comes when we fail to say no to things. While we may claim that our superpower is multitasking, the secular idol of busyness can conceal and suppress the message of Christ's peace-giving work on the cross, especially when we have no room in our mind to even consider what Christ's work is and why the Christian faith is so important and world-changing. To experience or have an ongoing enjoyment of the peace of Christ, I believe that we must eliminate business from our lives to focus our gaze on the one who is supreme. Let me illustrate. In 2017, I entered a season of anxiety. The anxiety was debilitating that I had a mental fog each day. My passion for ministry was declining. I was failing to focus on Jesus. I wasn't even remembering my baptism. My overworked mind was a violent act against my emotional, physical and spiritual well-being. Rather than reveling in the peace of Christ, I turned to my idol, my iPhone. It became my resting place in my busy blizziness. After researching and discovering that my overstimulation triggered the anxiety, I started a digital detox, which means that I tried to minimize how much time I was using technology, for example, like uh, my phone. I then purchased a basic phone that could only text and call. After using the phone for a week, I was astonished by my newfound time. After crushing my iPhone idol, I was driven to delight myself in Christ again, my arbiter. I then experienced true peace. I remembered his work on the cross. As Jesus reclaimed the throne seat in my life, Colossians 3.15 acted as a profound reminder. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. In my blizzard, I turned to Christ and enjoyed peace. And that peace energized me and remains to energize me as I seek to put him first in life. And it comforted me, gave me peace, it relaxed me. And so knowing Knowing Christ as the supreme arbiter should fill us with peace.
So in this this teaching, I've tried to argue that Christ is supreme for three reasons. He's author who fills us with praise. He's the alpha who fills us with hope. And he's the arbiter who fills us with peace. And now as people who are called to praise Christ, hope in him and find peace in him, may he be seen for who he is in our lives. Supreme. Amen. Let us affirm the faith together. Do you believe in God the Father?